iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you for joining us on this New Year's Eve. That's right, 2019 is around the corner. We wish you uh, a happy and serene and healthy one, of course. We're releasing this podcast today. Uh, we've taped it earlier. Um, I can't believe you told them. Am I spoiling the magic of... Yeah, no, because people actually think that we'd meet here. We're such losers that we'd meet here at like 8 o'clock on the evening on New because Year's Eve. Because we're celebrating New Year's Eve together. So anyway, we're not really here. We left the studio days ago. We do have lives. <laughs> um, but here's a pre-recorded special. Indeed, yes. We've been asking writers from The Times to give us their ideas for improving the game of football, whether it's rule changes, structural changes, you name it. And we've been picking the brains of journalism's finest minds as they share their bugbears. In the studio with us today, or not really today, but the day that we're taping this, it's the very excellent Alison Rudd. And, yes, the only living Gearbrandt in captivity. <laughs> But let's start with somebody much better than those guys. <laughs> Henry no, Winter. Just that. You're not going to say James Gearbrand. Just I think people know. They know by now. Yeah, it's, it's right. a little bit like Liberace. Nobody knows his real first name. <laughs> let's start then with Henry Winter. Who's far more important than you or I or a guest today. <laughs> and he has an idea for speeding the game up. One measure I'd like to see football consider introducing is if a player goes down injured and not in either penalty box, the physio can actually run on and attend to that individual because I think it would cut out some time wasting. It would allow the game to flow. Clearly, if it's a serious injury, the referee can stop the game. But if they have any doubt, bring the physio on, let the game continue. Most players, most teams would be sensible enough to avoid the area where the individual is getting attended to. It's happened occasionally in previous sports. I know rugby uh, tried it. So I think it's definitely worth uh, looking at because there's too much simulation, players going down, staying down, time wasting. And it would certainly encourage them to get up and get on with the game if the game was actually continuing. I think it's worth a look at. Look, it might prove chaos, it might prove carnage, physios might get run over. So, uh, But I think it's definitely worth looking at because the amount of time wasting is pathetic now. Oh, against the laws of the game, that would require changes at the very top of, you know, oh, you know, you can't do that. You can't even have a dog running on the pitch accidentally without having to stop the game. You can't have people with medical bags running on. I think if you, if you had this rule, well, what happened is, I mean, Henry's scenario, the referee could stop it if it's a serious injury. Everybody would pretend it's a serious injury. Either that or he's right. Nobody's going to send their physios on if somebody's not really hurt, if the game is continuing because mm. you're playing with a man down. So you would cut out those those fake ones, but I don't know. Not, I'm but not, then would you not have players perhaps 
who are injured but think I've just got to get up and get on with it because the game is still going. So therefore, they're not getting the treatment that they might actually All they have to do is crawl to the edge of the pitch and get their treatment there, Mm. which is, I believe, is what the indications to the referees are, right? You get treatment off the pitch. Well, you're not allowed to leave the pitch without the referee's permission either. I mean, we've got VAR and now we've got Henry suggesting that everything to do with with medicine and injury on the pitch is outside of the referee's remit. It's an important role that he or she has. You have to keep a judge of the game, who's who's mucking about, who's seriously hurt. You can't have people running off the pitch when they like it because they've got a sprained ankle. You can't have physios running on the pitch when they like it because they have a favourite player that they know has got a headache. It does not work. Henry's upset, Alison. Maybe we should yes. move on to somebody well, Should we not we get know. James's take, though, very quickly? Can you see a case for what Henry said? Well, I think it's what... Um, it's actually what they, they do it in rugby, don't they? And sort of, you would think it would be absolute chaos but it sort of it seems to kind of work well enough that they haven't stopped doing it but I don't know I suppose in football you have fewer players so the effect of losing one man is lesser but okay I'm not a doctor but I I will tell you um when physios come on to treat the players they're not actually fixing the players they're simply going in to very quickly assess if there's been a serious injury that's all they're doing remember the whole magic spray and stuff Mm. you know they're trying the magic sponge they're not. They're not doctors. They're not. They're not like patching the players. Sorry, up. the the magic sponge is not actually magic. <gasps> oh no. oh no, it's not. What? No, no, no. Sorry to disappoint. On New Year's, especially Eve, in this festive time of year as well. Yes. Sorry. Let's get. Let's move the, on to uh, Bill, who surely yes. will come up with something more sensible and that won't upset Alison as much. Well, he has a similar complaint, and he wants to talk about time wasting. So one area that needs addressing, in my view, urgently, is that referees' timekeeping is abysmal. Not only do referees not keep count properly, but their slackness also allows players to cheat. When referees have totted up the amount lost, they just then decide on a round number. So I surveyed a few hundred Premier League games for first-half stoppage time. Just three games had 59 seconds or less added on, but then 123 games had between 1 minute and 1 minute 20 added on. So there was a similar surge of instances where just over 2 minute stoppage time was played. This means that referees tend to have a round figure of minutes in their head and then they play that time or a tiny bit more if a team is threatening to score. The ultimate in absurdity is when time is wasted within stoppage time and a qualifier in Dublin for this year's World Cup. The referee booked the Serbia goalkeeper for time wasting yet proceeded to add on no further time beyond the three minutes that was initially indicated on the board. The Serbia won the match 1-0. Ireland were denied the chance to push for an equaliser and had Ireland drawn they would have qualified for the World Cup rather than Serbia. So my solution is simply referees just simply look at your watch. I think that's quite a good one really. Yeah. I think there's a lot of issues with time wasting and I have to say though there was a Brentford game this uh, this season I think it was against Forest where the ref added 10 minutes on and there wasn't there hadn't been a serious injury or anything like like that but there had been a lot of time wasting so we were quite delighted at Brentford when 10 minutes went up but what do you think of it I like this proposal I, I think time wasting is definitely an issue I, I think I remember seeing after the um, World Cup semi-final between France and Belgium a breakdown of sort of ball in playtime in the sort of last 20 minutes of the game. And I can't remember what it was, but it was something absolutely kind of, you know, you were kind of shocked by how, quite how effectively France had managed to kill the game, which in a way you kind of have to admire, but also you sort of feel should not be rewarded. Ultimately, football is a spectator sport. We're all kind of here to watch it and be entertained. I I, I completely agree. Um, I think there's a better solution to this and I suppose I'll get to it when it's my turn. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Alison, you're the qualified referee. What's really weird 
is – well, first of all, in terms of time added on, in Germany, they hardly ever add more than two minutes. And it doesn't matter, you know, what happened. That would be it. You still just – you only get, a, you know, a minute or two. In other countries, it's, it's a lot more. Aren't there also directives that, like, if there's a substitution in, in extra time or if there's a goal scored in extra time – you're generally expected to add this much more. Yeah, there are, there are the 30 second on. parameters, but of course, you can take much longer than 30 seconds to get your player off the pitch if you're trying to waste time. Yeah. And a goal celebration can take longer and, than 30 seconds as sorry, well. Okay, and with that, this is not my official suggestion, it's a little mini suggestion on the back of what Alison just said. Any player who gets substituted with the lead while his team is winning and decides to walk over to the referee to shake his hand, <laughs> the referee should have one of those like electric cattle prods, right? And just go and just, just ram it down his throat. I absolutely, no, seriously, he, he should send him off. He should send him off and not let the new guy come on. That's I absolutely idea. hate that. But how many matches have you watched? When Okay, when was the last time any of us watched a game and the referee blew the whistle as the ball was in the air coming in from a free kick or a corner? A long, long time. It's very, very subjective. I've done it. It's refereeing. You end up just being intuitive because you can't referee the game properly and constantly look at your watch no. and add up the difference, how many minutes and how many seconds. Uh, it, it, you end up just becoming gut reaction. And then you end up thinking, well, I won't blow the whistle yet. If you analyse most matches, um, that the referee blows the whistle as the ball it reaches the halfway line from a goal kick. If you put the time added on into the hands of somebody who's that's their only job with a stopwatch and you had a hooter sounding, mm. as they do in rugby, then you would get that excitement of, oh my goodness, he had just taken a shot. They did cross the line before the hooter. And it would mean the referee didn't have to apply this totally exactly. subjective idea of it's probably safe to blow my whistle now because nobody's going to get too angry. So if the ball went in, you wouldn't have a I've started, so I'll finish moment. With the hooter going off. <laughs> if, it, if, it, if the hooter's gone, the hooter's gone. You, can, it wouldn't yeah, be you can debate it. You can do the role mm. anyway. But yeah, it's, mm. that ties into my suggestion, which will come later. All this mm. foreshadowing. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Next up is Ollie Kaye, who wants to make a few changes to the rulebook. One of the changes I would make would be to introduce the ability to dribble the ball into play from a uh, free kick or from a corner. Um, it would make the game quicker, more technique-based, uh, quicker restarts, less emphasis on organisation and um, sort of aerial manoeuvres, it would just surely, I, I cannot ever see a, a negative to that, I would even consider it for throw-ins um, and on another note why does the ball have to leave the penalty area before a player of um, the defending team can receive the ball on a goal kick I have never understood that one it's a very strange one in these days of playing out from the back surely it makes sense for a player to be able to receive the ball from his goalkeeper um, as soon as it's passed. Mm-hmm. It's, Ooh, to, it's, to, it's to protect goalkeepers from the bad breath of their defenders. No, <laughs> give us a serious answer. Why, Alison? I don't know why, but it's part of the, part of the rules of the game. You, you can't keep just, you just of the game. Fiddle, fiddle with it. You can't just fiddle with it. Well, that is the whole point of this podcast, though. I, we want to change <laughs> the law of the game. <laughs> I, I don't mind the dribbling from, from, from free kicks. I don't. I think... The reason throw-ins are throw-ins is that what you don't want is to have more encouraging of people just launching it into the box. And the minute you allow people to dribble in, okay, I'll take one step dribble and then just go and boot the ball into the box. That In the days of early Tony Pulis, that might have been great. Today, I don't think it's something we want to see. But the dribbling from free kicks, why not? 
I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything um, anything to dislike about picture that. Picture really. it, though. Picture it. It would look stupid. It would look like, you know, when kids first start playing football and they don't know what they're doing and they're wearing these big baggy bibs and then they give them the ball and they just run for three miles in the wrong direction. That's what it'll look like. There's evolution, <laughs> Alison. I think Ollie's in first place right now. But we have the brilliant mind of George Colkin coming up next. Yes, he has something to say about the possibility of that European Super League. The Premier League is a form of tyranny. Because if you're in the bottom two-thirds of the table, you're paralysed by fear. It's the fear of missing out. And it means that the football itself is, by and large, pretty unattractive. At the same time, how can it be that the playoff match to get into the Premier League can be the richest game in our sport? Not the Champions League final, not the FA Cup final, but the game between the teams that finish third and sixth in the second division. What would I do? I'd massively redistribute wealth between the divisions and even in the Premier League to try and alleviate against this fear. Isn't that why the Premier League went on its own in the first place? Yeah, it did, to satiate the greed of leading clubs. Let them go. Let them go and play each other every week and let's see how much fun that is. One of the most enjoyable parts of my job in the last few years has been seeing Newcastle go down and then understand that winning is actually good. It doesn't matter so much who, who you play against. Equally, seeing Sunderland in League One, they're diminished as a football club, but they're also enhanced because they've remembered that there's more to life than just grimly hanging on every season. Communist. Oh. <laughs> Look, I, honestly, I, I'm in favour um, of, of, of the free market. Um, I have no issue with that. He does make a very serious point about the redistribution of wealth, the, the disparity of resources. I wonder, this is something that actually FIFA are looking at as well. I don't know what you can do. The problem with redistributing the wealth is that it's going to make the teams at the top of the Premier League uh, weaker, which is going to weaken them in the Champions League. And they have big, powerful owners, and they generate a lot of money, and they're going to make a big argument about trickle-down. So it's extremely difficult to do. I'm wondering if there are other things that you can do, maybe reducing the, the squad sizes or the number of players you can have under loan. You know, if you can only have, say, a squad of 18 professionals aged over the age of 21, for example. If you did something like that, would there be a natural trickle down? Could we change economics somehow? Maybe. I think that's more realistic. But maybe. what Colkin says, pie in the sky. Could you have like maybe like a, a, a cap either on the number of transfers you could make in a given window or more kind of problematically, I suppose, the amount of money you could spend in a given transfer window? George also says, let them go off and play each other, the top clubs. But the, the, the joy, the joy, I think, one of the major joys of football is seeing the underdog triumph against someone glamorous. And why, why take that away? Why take away those moments where you push a big because team? most of the time it's garbage. Most of the no, time... No, it isn't most, most of the time, of the time garbage. We see this in the FA Cup third round all the time. Right? We all get excited. We're not talking and about then, the FA Cup. We're talking okay. about league football. But even in the Premier League, right? You you go see really bad teams or under... I don't bad. It's like under-resourced team. They go and they play Manchester City and they play an 8-1-1 formation and it's just going to be grim and defensive and try to hit on the counter. And then once out of every 20 times, they'll score. Then they'll be even more defensive after that. He's right. This polarization, this imbalance, not good. But you are taking away the possibility of, of another Leicester story, aren't you? 
when they won the title, obviously they came up against all those big. No, he's big not. Clubs. He's encouraging it. Should you, no, but he's, you, he's eliminating the big clubs, and it, that's even no, what made the story even bigger. The I, fact I, that Leicester came out on yeah, top. Leicester I think, would have just won the George Colkin League. That's all that's that would have it. No, I, he's not saying the big clubs should leave. He's just say, he's saying that you should redistribute the wealth in, no, in a different way. Said, definitely said let, let them, them, them play leave. each other only. Well, I think it's implied that if they don't like the redistribution, they can go and leave. But anyway, I'm, okay. I'm on Team Colkin. Uh, it's Matt Dickinson's turn now, and he's uh, taking this question back to grassroots. My improvement for the game, uh, having been down to another park pitch on Sunday morning, is to shut parents up. Uh, I decided that I've had enough blanket ban. Parents, I know a lot of academies do it. Parents can watch their kids, but they're not allowed to say anything. And to be honest, across recreation grounds, parks, commons, I would do the same. I just, uh, I've had it up to here with screaming nutters and you see their kids looking terrified and wondering what to do and yeah time to shut them up you can clap you can maybe even cheer a bit but uh no more screaming and yelling i mean surely it should be a given really no i don't think i don't want to live in dickinson's nanny state sorry i'm sorry we made him king like yeah but i can understand his point of view in that he's saying uh, no shouting no shouting encouragement yeah, I agree. Nobody wants us to be like, you know, like, we're like, man on you. Oh, how could you do? You know, like, nobody wants to hear that. I don't think they should be, you know, if you have a coach, the coach should be coaching. But shouting encouragement, well done, so-and-so. Oh, nice one. Good effort. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Allison, help me. No, no, parents are. Your children no, have parents, been through yeah, the system. No, parents are, they're, they're actually Why do you have to sit there in, si- in silence the, in Dickinson's world? No. The where where parents, like, they're all muzzled. The, the, the key point, apart from abuse, which I think is, no one's going to argue that abuse is a good thing. The key point when it comes to what parents do on the touchline is they are instructed by the coaches to only support whatever the style of play the coach is doing. So what they don't want Okay, let's forget abuse. Okay, abuse taken for granted. But what the coaches really worry about is when a parent who thinks they know a lot instructs their child to do something other than the coaches ask them to do. So you get the coach who might want to play uh, a flat back four and give everyone their jobs, and then you've got you've got parents shouting, "Oh, you know, son, you can, you know you can dribble out the back, you know, you know you can do that, <laughs> you know, you, you know, Perlo, oh, you know, shout like that on a Perlo." And then the coach just says, "Oh God, you know, please don't do that," because every parent is a coach. That's the real well, problem. Hey, Alison, and you've got special insight in this because you've special. got well, in addition to qualified coach, I think I'm right in saying. Your, your children, I'm both of them. I'm a qualified coach. I'm a qualified referee, and I'm a parent of your two parent amazing of, children. But who are also who are also were footballers, maybe Indeed. still are footballers, Indeed. and have totally been through the system. Indeed. In fact, you showed me a picture of one of them holding a cup once. Yes, thousands so, of cups. So with this in mind, yeah, I I prefer Allison's suggestion. Right, you don't give coaching advice. Mm. You obviously mm. don't throw any abuse. You don't give any coaching advice. You simply cheer on and encourage. Say well done. Well done. Is man on okay? Or is that too much? Uh, It's borderline, but it's okay. All right, thank you. I mean, I can imagine it must be confusing for a child if their coach is telling them one thing and a parent is saying something else. It, you know, it it can't be an enjoyable experience. And also, I just want a bit of insight, bit of insight. Um, If you go to an academy, a a Premier League academy, it actually gets worse. And what you find is that the parents... If, if they've committed to the academy system, they are thinking pound signs. They are thinking this is my, you know, this is our future. This is our financial thing sorted. And so they think only about their child being put uh, on our professional contract one day. And they will 
watch those matches that are played by the academy kids and they will shout at other parents and at other children, you're not letting my child shine. Oh. It becomes very... It's so selfish of the other parents. Not very selfish, very selfish, very, very... Uh, it's, it's, it gets worse the more elite it becomes. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, finally, let's hear what Alison Rudd had to say when we put this question to her a few weeks ago. And her idea is all about... Masclophobia. I hate mascots. Furry mascots. I hate people wearing costumes. And when Gunnosaurus came towards me in the press room at the Emirates, I, I actually felt slightly, I had almost a panic attack. They're disgusting things. And I don't know why they exist. Get rid of them now. No child ever says to their parents, please take me to see Arsenal. I want to see that dinosaur that's a bit manky with silly green fur. No one says, oh, Harry the Hornet is, is you know, he's, he's just so de rigueur and political and happening. It's it's ridiculous and it makes me feel slightly sick. So if I think if we got rid of them... Also, when you have a minute's silence, which we have at football all the time now for everything, the, what, I mean, the mascots just look stupid and they, they don't always buy it and they go around clapping at the same time. They are, they are ludicrous things that football doesn't need. Get rid of them. I'm very wow. calm, aren't I, when I speak? <laughs> I had no idea how restrained I was. Uh, I, I do have a slight issue with this one. Um, my child isn't interested in football whatsoever. The only way I can get him to come is by saying Busby will be there. And he loves the idea of seeing Busby. Yeah, well, you need to knock that on the head, don't you? I, mean, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, 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 it's over. I mean, he's not interested and it's never going to happen. Um, I'm not sure, Alison. Yeah, I'm not sure about this sure. either. I mean, I think it's a bit discriminatory towards some of us who might be, I'm not saying I am, but might be, you know, cosplay enthusiasts, Japanese cosplay, there's a whole... <laughs> I noticed that Alison has no idea what I'm talking about. Gilbrad definitely knows what I'm talking about because he's rolling on the floor over there. What 
did you not like stuffed animals either when you were a little girl? Did you, did you well, replace all your stuffed animals with like pictures of Stevie Highway? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't want Stevie Highway in a costume. I just don't want that. <laughs> Is there a place for mascots at football, James? I quite like mascots. I do that. We know oh, who the yeah. cosplayers are here. <laughs> Oh, I have a phobia, though. It is a phobia, as I indicated at the start of my yes, piece. Yes, yes. And I understand the bit about the, the minute silence. Perhaps they should be gone by yes, that stage. Yes, who is Who is your most hated mascot? Is it is it Gonosaurus? Yeah, I don't know why, but yeah. I mean, that he got closer to me than anyone, so maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I have a particular affection for mascots at this page because... Um, Somebody retweeted a picture of the uh, of the different mascots of the different teams in, in in Philadelphia, and I sort of mini analysis of them. The Philly Fanatic is a legendary mascot, and um, the, 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 there's a new one called Gritty from the Flyers, who's got big googly eyes, who's, who's been a sensation. And I mentioned Franklin the dog, who's the Philadelphia 76ers mascot, and says so like, yeah, he's kind of the latest in a long line of mediocre mascots. And then Franklin the, the dog started following me on Twitter, and he had a go at me. Oh. And he says, you know, stick to your sport, blah, blah, blah. But then, as often happens when you have Twitter debates, um, we become buddies. And I've invited Franklin to even – he can even stay with me or it might even take him to a football match when, uh, um, when he next comes to London. And so I look forward to doing that. And he invited me to a Sixers game. So That's a lie. No one makes friends on Twitter. I am now friends with Franklin the dog. No. I have the evidence. Wow. Um, James, have you got a, a measure then to improve football? I think one one thing that I would consider doing, particularly as uh, as VAR comes in and becomes more widespread, is I would consider moving from the current way that VAR uh, operates to having a system like other sports where you have VAR referrals. So you have a limited number of VAR referrals, maybe one or two for each side, and you put it in the hands of the teams themselves. I, I, I think... One thing that I felt during the World Cup, and I think a lot of people felt that VAR worked very well, I think my view on it was was more mixed, that the VAR itself kind of worked quite well, but it had a sort of unwitting knock-on effect, as these things kind of inevitably do, um, in that I felt there were a number of instances during the group stages when quite clear fouls in the penalty area, like really, really obvious fouls, went unpunished because I think referees knowing that they had that backup the the you know the video assistant referee waiting in the cabin or whatever in fact slightly changed probably unwittingly changed the way they refereed and sort of you know were maybe slightly more reluctant to blow because they knew that they had you know that safety net although of course inevitably VAR then didn't intervene I can't remember all the exact instances but there was definitely one involving Mitrovic I think in one of the group games where he was basically just rugby tackled to the floor and the referee didn't blow so I think rather than knowing that every play was subject to review there was only a limited number of reviews I think it would probably lessen that effect and make referees more likely to still referee in the same way that they always have and judge on the evidence of their own eyes and I think it would also kind of add an element of responsibility to and kind of I suppose also to some extent strategy onto the teams themselves which of course is how it works in virtually all other sports where you have video referrals like um, American football and cricket and what have you to me I think that would be a better way of doing it and it would also it would also if you had a finite number of referrals it would also reduce the amount of time loss of stoppages would you lose a referral if the decision went against you like in 
I think you would have to, yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a finite number of referrals, mm. would it? So I think, yeah, I think that would have to be part of it. I haven't quite thought it through, so I don't know. I, no. I'm not quite sure how many I would allot to each team, but mm. I, I think that would be a better system. But what about when there is, when one team's very very dirty and one team's trying to play beautiful football, and they run out of referrals, and then you get some contentious decisions just not going their way because they don't have any more chances to. I guess it. that's. I mean, that's just kind of that's kind of part of it, isn't it? I think. You only lose referrals by making an incorrect referral. So if you were to make a correct referral, you would keep it. But I think, I mean, it happens in, it happens in cricket, doesn't it? When pe- teams exhaust their referrals and, you know, there's then a decision that they should review, but they're unable to do. And I think people kind of accept that, that, you know, if you don't use your reviews wisely, mm. then it's kind of... I used to favour this system until I found out more about VAR and, and, and how it works. Um, and the point that was made to me, I think it's a very fair one, is the difficulty is on what basis are you going to ask a team to go and, and challenge a decision? Is it based on what the manager sees from the sideline? Are you going to make a manager decide within seconds, like, oh, that was a foul when he has got no view? Or are we going to ask teams to have their own VAR guy in the booth mm. looking at you know, 12 different pictures in real time, communicating that onto the manager who then has to take on trust. It gets really complicated. It gets even more expensive. I like the principle of it, but in the real world, when you're trying to bring VAR, you know, not just to Manchester United, but to smaller clubs as well, it just adds, I think, a layer of expense that if VAR is working properly and is working transparently, and I think everybody agrees that we should be made privy even if only after the fact of the conversations between the VAR official and the referee, we should give this system a shot while we can because it's been working pretty well. Okay, Gab, what about your changes to football? I was going to come up with something creative, but then I thought, like, I'm not going to top Allison and Colkin. So I'm just going to go with something very basic. Um, Hang on, you built this up earlier on. Now you're saying it's basic. <laughs> no, no, no. But this is the foreshadowing I had, right? Bill wants the stoppage time more accurate. Henry's concerned about time wasting the physios. Proposal that's been around for a very long time. You play two 30 minute halves of football, but it's all ball and play time. Um, right now, in, in top flight leagues, it's about 60 minutes of ball and play time, although it can vary from as little as 48 in some games to as high as 65 in other games. People are there for the ball and play. That's what we want to see. So the, the length of the overall length beginning to end of the matches would say roughly the same, but you would simply stop the clock when there's a stoppage in play, and that would help eliminate time wasting. You wouldn't have the controversy about minutes added on at the end, which are all basically you know added on arbitrarily. And I think ultimately the other thing is there's something about you know the sport is called football, and it's what happens when we play. You'd have teams being forced to play the same length of time throughout the entire season not you know 48 minutes as happens with some long ball teams or teams where guys stand around all the time so i think all in all that would be the way to go oh i'm sorry and you wouldn't need the referee to do it because you have some dude with a stopwatch so that's another thing the referee wouldn't have to worry about no i mean well as we discussed earlier i'm i think actually referees have trouble with timekeeping i think it's asking a lot of them to do it accurately so i back you on that gab thank you Hmm. My measure for improving football, if you're interested, uh, is we have obviously the player transfer window. I would like a manager transfer window because 
it can be such an unsettling time. Brentford, as we are, we've of of late have had been a fairly successful club in the Championship, uh, but we've had uh, even in League One as well. We've we've had number of times when we've had a manager who's been linked to another club. You have a few weeks of are they staying? Are they going? Please, you know, as a Brentford fan, please don't go. Please don't go. And eventually they end up moving on. And it's just very unsettling. And I think it's only right that if we have transfer windows for, for players, why not have it for managers? And within that as well, I would say if a manager does leave your club to go on to another rival, they can't then come back in until perhaps, let's say, not the first transfer window, but the next transfer window player-wise for any players at your club. That's my other little rule. Right. This is something that we talked about earlier this year. There's something I think, I don't know if it was the Premier League or the FA we're looking at. They do this in other countries. Um it completely makes sense. If you start the season with a club, you cannot manage another professional club in that country in that same season. I'm assuming Brentford didn't play Aston Villa in that period when Dean Smith no. was well, we leaving. Had, we had, but not in that period, no. But even then, he's moving to a rival club where he's got inside knowledge mm. of, of Brentford. Um, it just creates all these unnecessary situations. It's simply not fair. You've signed a contract. You want to leave, you're free to do it, but you do it at the end of the season. And Natalie's plan also would help all those out-of-work coaches. I mean, there's too many people who've got their coaching badges and a lot to offer, but no one seems to look further than someone who's doing well around the corner. Yeah. There are people out there who are doing well waiting for a chance. Oh, I think that's the winner then. Yeah. <laughs> that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, uh, Alison Rudd, James Gearbrand, and of course to everyone who has joined us in 2018. You can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online, but also on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £1 a week for an eight-week trial. So just search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back on Thursday to look ahead to the FA Cup third round weekend. You'll be back. I won't I be. Know, I'll be skiing. Away. <laughs> Enjoy. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.